In 2 Corinthians, the sixth chapter, we began a few weeks ago a new series that we're calling Separate from Sin. Separate from Sin. And this is our foundation text here. 2 Corinthians 6, beginning in verse 14. I'll read from the New Living Translation as you read whatever you have there. 2 Corinthians 6, 14 says, don't team up with those who are unbelievers. How can goodness be a partner with wickedness? Now, he's asking us a question. Anytime the scripture asks questions, you should endeavor to answer it. So what's the answer there? How can goodness be a partner with wickedness? Well, it can't. How can light live with darkness? It can't. doesn't work. What harmony can there be between Christ and the devil? No. Well, you know what he's saying, and he says it in different words. What about somebody who's yielding to the Christ and somebody who's yielding to the devil? Will they get along? No, they won't. There's no harmony. How can two walk together except they be agreed? There's got to be agreement. You know, sometimes people say concerning men and women and uh, dating and getting married and that kind of thing, they say, well, opposites attract. Well, maybe in things that are not the most important. But no, uh, fellowship is based upon what you have in common, what you share in common. So the important things, that's not true. Uh, You'll only fellowship. I mean, you don't go to a church where 90% of what they preach you don't believe in. Right, say, well, we don't agree with 95% of that, but we love it. (laughs) No, no, you can't fellowship except around what you agree on, right? And so how does Christ and the enemy have fellowship? Well, they don't. What harmony can there be between Christ and the devil? And uh, I've said it before, but, you know, it irritates me to hear even preachers imply That God is in some way working with the devil. And you hear a lot of it. You hear different versions of it. Well no. God is not using the devil. And God is not working. If God is working with the devil. We've had it. You know what I mean by that? I mean we might as well give up now. Because what you going to do? No. God is for us. The enemy is against us. That's why he's called the enemy, right? He is your enemy. But if God be for you, like one fellow said, what difference does it make? Who's against you? If God is for you, there is an adversary arrayed against our soul. And the Bible tells us to be sober, to be on the watch, to be vigilant. Because the devil, our adversary, as a roaring lion, he goes about seeking whom he may devour. Man, I'm so glad that the Lord put that word may in there. Right? Because what does that mean? There's some he may. There's some he may not. What determines it? Well, he tells us. Resist the devil. Steadfast in the faith. James said, resist the devil. He'll flee. Run from you. So uh, when the enemy comes knocking on your door, uh, temptation or Works of the enemy, that which is stealing and killing and destroying, you don't say, well, uh, you know, just whatever the Lord wants. No, if it's stealing, killing, and destroying, it's not from the Lord. It's from the enemy. And what he's saying is, may I devour you. And you need to say, absolutely no, you may not. I resist you. Get out of my life. Leave my home. Leave my kids. Leave my mind. Leave my finances. Go, I resist you in Jesus' name. What did the Bible say? He has to flee. You can't be passive about these kind of things. And uh, he goes on to say, how can a believer be a partner with an unbeliever? Well, it doesn't work. What union can there be between God's temple and idols? For we are the temple of the living God. What did he just say by contrast about all the rest of those pagans and idols and they're not, li- there's only one living God. 
Oh, I'm so glad you and I are not in here praying to a piece of rock tonight that could not answer a prayer, could not touch us and bless us. Aren't you glad? No, I serve the living, living. Whoo, he's alive. And he is the quickener. Quicken means to make alive and to make fully alive. Have you ever been quickened by the word of God? Have you ever been quickened? By the Holy Spirit. I got a few people I think know what I'm talking about. And maybe some others that are still wondering. Hey, people want to know why do y'all act like y'all do? You know, I don't understand. Why you got to get so excited? Why do you got to get so stirred up? Why you got to raise your voice? Why y'all got to carry on like that? Is all that really necessary? People say that. They think that way. Well, it's obvious you ain't been quickened. Like we're talking about. Because when you are, nobody's got to try to explain it to you, right? You know. I just don't understand all that, you know, raising the hands. and What's this dancing about? Well, you get blessed enough, it's got to come out some way. You will not just be able to sit there and go, praise the Lord. You get full enough. Hmm? A cheerful heart, the Bible said, makes a glad countenance. It shows up on your face. People say, well, I just love the Lord in my own way, deep in my heart. (laughs) You ain't full. Because when you get full, it affects you. It comes out. You can't help it. You'll bubble. You'll overflow. Hallelujah. Thank God for what you know of God. But there's more. I said, there's more. You can be filled and then you can overflow with the goodness of God. When you do, it makes you want to shout, makes you want to sing, makes you want to dance, makes you want to express it. Thanks be unto God. Because we are the temple of the living God. And when you're full of God, it's going to affect your face. It's going to affect your voice. It's going to affect you in every way. He goes on to say, he said, what union can there be between God's temple and idols? For we are the temple of the living God. As God said, I'll live in them and walk among them. I'll be their God and they'll be my people. And he is and we are. Can you say amen? Amen. Say it out loud. The living God God is my God. God. I I am his temple. We are his people. The living God lives in me. Once you close your eyes, let's say that out loud at least a couple of more times. Say it out loud. The living God lives in me. Let's say it together. The living God lives in me. Say it again. The living God lives in me. One more time. The living God lives in me. In me. Thank you Lord. Thank you Lord. Something to be glad about. Well verse 17 now. This all flows together. He says therefore. Because. Christ is not having communion. With the devil. Because unbelievers and believers. Don't flow and work well together. Because there's no harmony. With light and darkness. Because we are the temple of the living God. Come out from them and separate yourselves from them, says the Lord. Don't touch their filthy things and I will welcome you. I'll be your father. You'll be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. How many know we are children of a holy God? Well, the children should be holy, right? We're filled with the Holy Spirit. We hear and speak the Holy Word. We're authorized in the Holy Name. Right? We should be holy. In chapter 7 verse 1 he says, Because we have these promises, dear friends, let us purify ourselves from everything that contaminates body and spirit Perfecting holiness out of reverence for God. Now we know that we, there is no amount of righteous works 
whereby we can cleanse ourselves from our sin before God, only the blood of the Lamb can do that. And we could not attain righteousness and holiness through our works, no matter who, no matter what. So we receive His holiness. We receive His righteousness. The Bible said we've been given the gift of righteousness. Righteousness is not something you work hard to attain unto. It's a gift. You receive it. We've been made the righteousness of God in Christ. That bothers some people to hear that. But it really takes humility to say that. You have to say, you have to admit, I couldn't do it in myself. I could never do it in myself. So I have to receive His. If I'm going to be right before God, there's only one way. It's because of what Jesus has done for me. So my rightness before God is His rightness. He gave it to me, right? But this is talking about our lifestyle. If we've been made holy, how many believe we should walk holy? We should live holy. If we've been made right, we should live right. Now, as we go through some scripture tonight, we're going to see the word righteous a number of times. And righteous is a King James translation. Of the Greek. And I think sometimes we haven't thought right about this word. But both the word holiness and the word righteous and righteousness, so many people they've heard it a lot, but they don't have a clue what it means. And they think it's good and it's probably pure and it's like God, and then the devil will come right behind with a thought to them, and it's not you. <laughs> you ain't righteous. You're not holy. But Jesus was already holy and already righteous before he came to the earth. He did not need to come and do what he did for himself. Did you hear me? Everything he did, he had no sin that needed to be paid for. He had nothing that needed to be cleansed of himself. It was all for us. So this holiness that he's obtained, in fact, go to... um, 1 Corinthians 1 and verse 30. 1 Corinthians 1, 30. But of him are you in Christ Jesus. How many believe you're in Christ Jesus? You're in him. Who of God is made unto us. This is not something we earn, not something we merit, not something we attain to through anything we do. He has been made to us, what? Wisdom. Wisdom. Do you have the wisdom of God? Whether you feel like it or not, we have the mind of Christ. The Bible says so, right? Confess it over yourself. Never, never, never call yourself dumb. Come on now, the Lord's talking to some folk in here. You know, well, I don't know what's wrong with me. I guess I'm just getting old. I'm losing my memory. Do you want to lose your memory? will never say such a thing. Absolutely a lie of the devil. My Aunt Leo, gone to be with the Lord now, 103 years old. You could talk to her, and she would tell you who married who in 1928, and the names of all their kids and all their grandkids. She didn't need a family tree in the Bible. She could just map it all out for you. It is absolutely a lie of the devil that your memory and your mental capacity has to diminish as you get older. If you believe it, you're letting the devil rob from you. And don't talk about you being dumb in this area. Well, I'm just a dumb old country boy. Listen, the Bible, you search the scripture high and low, you will never find anything about dumb country boys or dumb city girls. Did you hear me? Are dumb blondes. (laughs) Huh? So so what are you saying, Brother Listen, people darken their own understanding by saying such stuff over their self. Well, I'm not an educated man, so? There's different kinds of education. There's people who's got three degrees and been to school for 20 years and as dumb as a post. I'm serious. 
don't know anything worthwhile, worth using. No, you have the master teacher on the inside of you and you have the mind of Christ to understand him. You need to confess. I used to have the Rama students all the time. You know, before class, a lot of times in the morning, I'd have them speak over themselves. Say, I'm quick. I'm bright. I'm sharp. I'm good looking. I'm rich. And a major blessing. Not just to say that, but, you know, Isaiah talks about that. You know, he makes me of quick understanding in the fear of the Lord. He's given me the tongue of the learned that I should know how to answer somebody. The Bible tells us that we ought to always be ready to give an answer. Quick. We ought to be quick, bright, sharp. Some people need to say it in this place tonight. Say it out loud. I'm quick. I'm bright. I'm sharp. And listen now. Never call your kids slow. I don't care if they're born with serious impairment. God can fix it. Did you hear me? Unless you and everybody around them agree and decree over them every day that they're slow. I don't care how many F's that boy brings home. You speak over him words of faith. You look him in the eye. You say, you're smart. You can get this. You can get this. One of the biggest keys to learning is faith. If you don't believe you can get it, you won't get it. If you believe it's too hard for you, if you believe it's beyond you, you won't. You won't get it. I know uh, the Lord blessed me in aviation. I'd never thought about aviation that much. And nobody in my family knew anything about aviation. I didn't know the front end of an airplane from the back end. I didn't. Nothing. And in 1996, the Lord dealt with me, learn how to fly, believe for an airplane. I didn't want to do it. I knew it was going to be a lot of work. I was busy. I was preaching sometimes 25 times a week. When am I going to learn how to fly? How am I going to do this? I rocked along for a couple of months and finally realized if I don't do this, I'm going to be disobedient. It's not a matter of want to, don't want to. So I got after it. Every time I'd come in off of a trip, I'd go to the airport and Learn how to fly. Take a lesson. And, you know, in a few months, got my private and a few more. And I thought, well, I've got my private. The Lord dealt with me. Stay with it. Stay with it. Get your instrument. Stay on it. Well, I got it. And uh, the Lord blessed us with a little airplane, a little single engine, you know. And, I mean, we hadn't had that little airplane, was it a couple of years, two or three years? The Lord had dealt with us right after we got it. Believe for a jet. Well, I've been in aviation long enough now to know jets are expensive to operate. I mean, when you pull up to the pump and say, top her off, fill her up, you better have more than a $20 bill with you. <laughs> so, you know, we thought, okay, you know, the Lord knows better than we, so we started believing for one. The Lord moved supernaturally and gave us a jet. Gave it to us. Well, I got to go learn how to fly this thing. I went to school. One of the best places in the world where you could train on this particular kind. I was there for a day and they called me in. (laughs) They're wondering how I got in there. (laughs) Because these guys are professionals. They fly for Dow Chemical and, you know, Ford Motor Company and uh, NASCAR, you know, teams. Top of the top. And uh, they asked me, now how much time you've got? I mean, the minimum time these guys usually had was about 3,000 hours. I had 300. They said, what's the last thing you're flying? A single engine. And the guy looked at me. He said, we think this is over your head. He said, are you understanding what's going on in class? I've been in class two days. It It lasted nearly a month. I said, yes, sir. I said, let me go as far as I can. I said, if I can't do it, I'll admit it. I said, but as long as I'm getting it, let me go. He said, all right. I'm telling you what, boy, every day I had to believe God. (laughs) 
Ooh, man, I'm trying to make up for years of lack of experience, you know, that these other guys have. And I just, there were times when, you know, I almost wanted to go, stop, just stop, stop. My head just felt like it was pounding, you know. But I kept telling myself, you can get this. You can get this. Greater one's in you. The greater one's in me. I got the mind of Christ. He makes me of quick understanding. Read it again, you'll get it. Listen again, you'll get it. And there were times when, man, I felt like (laughs) my head said, you ain't getting it. I said, shut up, shut up. (laughs) We can get, see, did you hear what I'm saying? Faith, faith, and we did it. They told me next time I came back, they said the lowest time anybody's ever come through here and done anything like that. They were surprised. They were shocked. But it wasn't just because somebody said, well, you're just smart, Brother Keith. Hey, no, it's the greater one inside you. I don't care who you are. Where you come from, I come from Mississippi with red mud between my toes. There were no doctors in my family. Are you listening? (laughs) No, no, it makes no difference. Who you are, where you're from, if you believe you can, you can. If you believe you can get it, you can get it. That's why you got to tell your children, put this in your children. Now, that's one thing my parents did for me. I'll forever be grateful. I mean, we didn't have a lot of money. Neither one of them went to college. You know, we didn't know people that had higher education. But I tell you what, as a little boy, they'd look at me. They'd look me in the eye and they'd say, Keith, you can do it. You can learn anything. You can do it. They put it. I came in one day to play it. I remember with my little trucks and I came in and I said, Mama, I want to be an astronaut. She said, you do. I said, "Uh uh-huh. She didn't tell me, oh, boy, you know, you're not going to be it. She sat me down. And she said, you know, you have to work real hard. And there's not too many people that can achieve this. But, you know, you could do it. And I'd walk out of there thinking, I could do it. And if you get to believe in you can do it and are willing to stay with it long enough, you can do anything. You can accomplish anything in God. I can do all things through Christ. Who strengthens me. Never call yourself dumb. Not even in joking. Some folk need to hear this in here tonight now. Never call yourself dumb. Never say well you know I'm, I don't get all that. I'm just I'm not smart like that. Never say that. Because the Lord may want you to get into that area. And learn something about it. And your words will be opposed against your own self. No. We're not supposed to do everything. But. When you see something the Lord wants you to do, you put your words on it. And I don't care what you feel like or how far below it it seems to you. You seem like you are to it. You say, I can get it. I can do it. Say it out loud. I have the mind of Christ. I can learn anything. I need to learn. I can understand anything. I need to understand. The Lord's made me quick. I'm sharp. Bright. He's made me of quick understanding in the fear of the Lord. I have the mind of Christ. Hallelujah. Yeah. I had a lady one time came to me and she said, uh, Brother Keith, she said, I believe the Lord's led me to go back to college and study this particular area that's known to be complex. And she said, I'm a. Uh, 47 years old, I think she said. And she said, I was a poor student in high school. I did lousy. And she said, uh, I'm going to be in here with all these 18, 19, 20-year-olds. And I'm just concerned. I said, hey, first thing, got to get a hold of that mouth. We got to get that mouth. I took her to these scriptures we've been talking about. I said, begin to say, the Lord's made me of quick understanding. In the fear of the Lord. I get it. I'm quick. They say it. I get it. And I said I don't care. If you come back from class. And your head's buzzing. And you feel like you're so far behind. That you'll never catch up. Don't say that. Say I'm quick. I get it. I'm sharp. It wasn't a few months. I saw her. She was smiling. She said I'm ahead of all those 18 year olds. (laughs) Glory to God. We're top of her class. Glory to God. Don't look back. Look forward in faith. Speak faith. Somebody needed that. He said he's made to us wisdom and what? Righteousness and 
sanctification, which has to do with holiness and redemption. He's been made to us all these things. That according as it is written, he that glories, let him glory in the Lord. So that when wisdom does flow out of us and brightness does come out of us. And people say, whoo, man, you are so smart. What do you say? So that he that glories, he glories what? In the Lord. Because if you ever start taking the credit for it for yourself, that's when you start getting dumb. I'm serious. You begin to get darkened then because you're trying to do it on your own. Now you're depending on your own self now and that's when you'll fail. No, you say, no, the Lord helps me. And you don't say it trying to be humble. Real humility just deals with reality. It is that way. Right? So you say, no, the Lord helped me. The Lord helped me. Oh, man, you're so smart. You just have a knack for that kind of thing. You say, well, no, the Lord's helped me. He graces me. It's a grace. Right? And he gets the credit. He gets the glory. Now, here's my introduction. (laughs) No, we've been talking about being separate from sin. And one thing that we got into and we said sin is violating light. There's a number of different things we talked about. We saw the scripture where it said sin is the transgression of the law. And we saw, you know, the Bible said to him that knows to do good and does it not, to him it is sin. And that sums it up. It's violation of light. Now go with me to second, excuse me, Romans chapter 6 and let's look into the operation of sin because we are believing From the scripture that we can live separate from sin. We do not have to sin every day. We don't have to sin all the time. We don't have to be overcome with sin. In fact the scripture tells us not to let sin rule us. Right? And if the Bible says you can do it then you can do it. No matter what you think or what somebody else said. Let's stay with the word. Romans 6. And verse uh, 7. Well, verse 6. He says, knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth, from now on, we should not serve sin. You don't have to serve sin, do you? For he that is dead is freed from sin. And that's what we talked about last week. Right? Lay down dead man he said reckon yourself to be dead indeed if you always felt dead you wouldn't have to reckon or count yourself dead but you don't let the man of the flesh rule you he said verse 9 knowing that Christ being raised from the dead dies no more death has no more dominion over him for in that he died he died unto sin once but in that he lives he lives to God Likewise, reckon ye also yourselves to be dead indeed to sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Said out loud, I'm alive to God. I'm dead to sin. Well, you couldn't say that too much. It would help you. When you think about it through next week and what have you, it comes up in your mind, say it. I'm alive to God. I'm dead to sin. Dead to sin. Need to say it, especially if you've been having some strong temptation in an area. Don't talk about how bad your flesh wants to do something. Say, I'm dead to it. Right? I'm dead to it. You don't feel like you're dead to it. That's why you got to reckon it dead. I'm dead to it. Let's say alcohol has bound you. You do not need to go around all the time and say, "I, I just have to have it. I have to have it. I can't stand it. I have to have it. Well, see, your words are locking you into that. I don't care if you're still drinking. You need to say, I'm dead to it. I'm dead to it. Your words, you know, James talks about that your words are like the bridle in the horse's mouth and like the rudder on the ship. It turns and directs your life. Had a fellow came to me one time and he said, Brother Keith, he said, "Uh, I don't know if you can help me or not. He said, but I smoke. And I want to quit. Now see if you don't want to quit. Then there's no need even talking about it. <laughs> right? And uh, I know that there are people that love the Lord. And they smoke. There are people that love the Lord and dip. There are people that love the Lord and drink. 
you know, people sometimes make too big of a deal out of this. But at the same time, if you're damaging yourself, did you hear me? And you're in bondage, you ought to be free. And you can be free. And uh, it's just foolish to destroy your lungs and destroy yourself, right? And take decades off of your life that could be used in service for God because your flesh is dominating you. So this man said, I want to quit. He said, but people have prayed for me, and I've had all kinds of things done, and I don't know how many cigarettes I've thrown away, and I just go back and get more. And he said, I can't quit. I've tried. I've done everything I know to do, but I can't quit. My body just craves the nicotine, and I've I got to have it. Let's just stop right here. Can anybody see a problem? Yes. What? What does he say? He said, I can't quit. Does he believe that? Oh, you should have seen his eyes. You should have heard the tone of his voice. He completely believes that he can't quit. Well, if you believe something in your heart and you say it with your mouth, what? That's what you'll have. That's where you're going to stay. I told him, I said, well, will you do what I say? I said, you can be delivered. I said, it's easy. Will you do what I say? He said, well, Brother Keith, I've been prayed for before, and I've thrown cigarettes before, and I promised I wouldn't smoke before, and I'll just go right back and smoke. I said, you want us to do any of that? We're not even going to pray. He said, we're not going to pray? I said, no. I said, you already said you prayed a bunch, right? He said, yeah, lots of times. I said, no, just one thing, one thing. Will you do it? He said, if I can. I said, oh, you can. I said, here's what you do. Every time that you buy a pack of cigarettes. He said, I'm going to buy more cigarettes. I said, you've been buying them, right? He said, I get to keep smoking. (laughs) I said, do you want to quit? Do you want to be? Oh, brother, I want to. I just can't. I said, never say that again. He said, what? Never say you can't quit again. Your words are stout against the Bible. Your words are against God. Did the Lord say you can't quit? What did he say? You can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. The greater one lives inside you. All things are possible to him that believes. That's what the Bible says. He's talking his experience instead of the word. He's walking by sight, not by faith. I said, no, never say that again. Here's what you say. I am free from cigarettes. Now, you know, another way of saying that, you could have said, I'm dead to cigarettes. Because dead men have no cravings to smoke. So we talked about that last week, right? Right? Somebody's really dead, you don't hear bumping on the casket. Have you got a camel? Have you got a a lucky? No, no. Dead men don't want a cigarette. Right? They have no desire for cigarettes. Why? Because they're dead. Now, if you weren't here last week, you might not fully appreciate all that. But isn't that what the Bible said? Right? Verse 11. Verse 11. Likewise, do what? Reckon or count yourself to be what? Dead to what? Not dead to God. Not dead to the Word. Not dead to the people of God. We are alive to God. But we are dead to sin. Dead to sin. Some people are getting this. We're dead to sin. I told him, I said, every time you buy a carton of cigarettes, I said, when you walk out of the store, you say, thank you, Lord. I am free from cigarettes. He said, yeah, but I just would have bought some. I said, I know. I said, every time you take out a pack and you open them up and you pull out a cigarette, I said, every time, not once in a while, every time you touch a cigarette, every time you think about a cigarette, you say, thank you, Lord, I'm free from cigarettes. He said, but I I would have one in my hand, I'd be smoking. I said, I know. He said, but I'm not. (laughs) I said, listen, brother, I asked you, would you do it? He said, yeah, I guess. I said, can you do it or not? Can you say I'm free from, let's try it right now. I'm free from cigarettes. See, why is he choking on this? Unbelief. 
He believes he can't quit. And as long as he believes that, he'll never quit. Same thing is true with people that believe they can't lose weight. Hmm? People laugh about it and they make fat jokes, but it ain't funny because they cry when nobody's looking. And they don't realize they have locked themselves into this size and into this weight. They get fighting mad. People get fighting mad. I mean, they get hurt. They get offended. They get upset. They say, you just don't understand. Everybody's not the same. I have a slow metabolism. And I've tried everything. And it just doesn't work for me. And now you know why. You say it doesn't work for you. And see, the reason you get mad about it is because you believe it. You're fully persuaded. That you are different and it doesn't work for you. And you've tried everything. And so you have spiritual laws working against you. Preventing your body from metabolizing fat. Did you hear me? you got spiritual laws working against you. What if you said, it's easy for me. It's easy for me. I can be whatever size I want to be. I lose extra fat easy. And you talk to your metabolism. You say, metabolism, speed up. Burn this fat. Right? It's easy for me to control my appetites. It's easy for me to exercise. And when you start talking like that, people go, (laughs) well, maybe for you. But see, you see, see, as a man thinks in his heart, so easy. You believe it in your heart. You say it with your mouth. Jesus said, you'll have what you say. The Bible says in Proverbs, thou art snared with the words of thy mouth. He said, life and death is in the power of the tongue. And they that love it will eat the fruit of it. Talking about the life. Does it make any difference what you say? Well, what you say is a revelation of what you believe. And how you see yourself on the inside. If you say, well, uh, you know, all that prosperity stuff. I don't believe in all that. I mean, that just ain't, that just ain't reality. You don't live where I live. You don't work where I work. And you don't know. It just ain't that easy. Yeah, it is. If you believe. You don't know where I came from. You don't know where I've worked. You don't know where I've been. I don't care where you are. The Bible said he takes people from the dung hill. And he sets them with princes. And for him, it's easy. As long as you believe you can't do it and it's all up to you, then you never will. But when you begin to believe, I serve a big God and nothing's too hard for him. He can help me with this. I can come out. It's easy for God to get me out of this. It's easy for me to lose weight. I'm free from cigarettes. I'm free from alcohol. I'm free from methamphetamines. I'm free from cocaine. I'm free. I don't care if you're every pore of your body is screaming. I've got to have that drug. That's the most important time for you to open up your mouth and say, I'm free from this. Even if you're still taken. I told this young man, I said, every time you light up a cigarette, in between drags, you say, thank you, Lord. I am free from. He said, well, I'll be smoking. I said, I know it. Just do what I said. Will you do it? He said, all right, I'll do it. It wasn't three weeks. I saw him come through the door of the place. Nobody had to ask. His face looked like a sign. I knew. I knew. He came. He said, I'm free. I'm free. I'm really free. I said, you quit? He said, yeah, and I'm free. He said it about three weeks, you know. He said, I, just like you said, he said, I, it didn't seem right at first. <laughs> he said, because I'm smoking. He said, but after a while, I got used to it. And didn't even really notice it. He said, every time I'd pull out the pack at night, lay it on my nightstand, I'd say, thank you, Lord. I'm free from cigarettes. I'd get up in the morning, put them back in my pocket. I said, thank you, Lord. I'm free from cigarettes. He said, I'm free from nicotine. I'm free from tar. I'm free from cigarettes. Thank you, Lord. In between drugs. He said, one day I was smoking one on the sidewalk. And I said it for I don't know how many of time. Thank you, Lord. I'm free. He said, it hit me. 
He said, I thought, I am free. See, faith comes by here. He's been saying it. He's been hearing it. And now he, be, he said, I put it out. He said, it's been the last one. He said, I don't even want one. Oh, glory to God. That will work for anything. I'm free from pornography. I'm free from cussing. I'm free from temper fits. Did you hear me now? Put your words on it. Put your faith on it. Give God something to work with. And don't just do it for an afternoon. Stay with it until. Somebody say, what do you mean until? As long as it takes. Just stay with it. Till it gets in you. When you really begin to believe it, you begin to be fully persuaded. Then your words will have power. And then you'll be changed. Glory to God. Boy, I've had a time getting to my notes tonight. Let's keep reading Romans 6. Romans 6, likewise reckon you also yourselves to be what? Dead indeed unto sin. We're talking about being separate from sin. We do not have to be dominated by sin. Say it one more time. I'm alive to God. I'm dead to sin. We ought to say that a lot. I'm dead to sin. Verse 12, let not sin. Now notice, let not. There's an understood subject here. What is it? You. you. You are not to let, you are not to allow sin to reign or rule over your mortal body that you should obey it in the lusts thereof. So if sin is ruling over a child of God, how did it come to do that? They had to have allowed it. They let it happen. Right? The devil cannot make you sin. He can't make me sin. Never have you or I sinned and we couldn't help it. The sin just overcame us. The devil just ran over us. Next thing we knew, we had done it. No. You have to. Now keep reading and you'll see a word. He said, verse 13, neither. What's that word? Yield your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin, but what? Yield yourselves to God as those that are alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. Don't yield your body, your tongue, your mind. Don't yield yourself to sin, but yield yourself to God. Yield yourself. Keep reading. For sin shall not have dominion over you. For you're not under the law, but under grace. What then? Shall we sin because we're not under the law, but under grace? God forbid. Know ye not that to whom you yield yourselves servants to obey, his servants you are. To whom you obey, whether of sin unto death or of obedience unto righteousness. If you yield to sin, who's ruling over you? Sin's ruling you. And, and the, the tempter of sin and he who had the power of death is ruling over you. And the wages of sin is death and so sin unto death. He said, but you can yield yourself to God. He said, know you not to whom you yield yourself servants to obey, his servants you are to whom you obey, whether of sin unto death or of obedience to righteousness. But God be thanked that you were the servants of sin, but you have obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine which was delivered to you, being then made free from sin, you became the servants of righteousness. Are we free from sin? Have we been made free from sin? Sin shall not have dominion over us. Then what is this that all these folk are talking about? You can't make it a day without sinning. This is widely believed in churches. That you ain't going to make it through a morning without sinning. Well then how do you believe this? That sin's not ruling over you. Sin's not having dominion over you. Don't yield yourself to sin. Don't let sin reign in your mortal body. No. You don't have to sin all the time. He said, 
Verse 19, I speak after the manner of men because of the infirmity of your flesh. For as you have yielded your member servants to uncleanness and to iniquity to iniquity, even so now yield your members servants to righteousness unto holiness. You keep hearing this word yield, don't you? Yield, yield. Go with me to Matthew, please. Matthew 26. Jesus told his disciples, you know, the guards are about to come. There's about to be this mock trial and Jesus is about to be scourged and then go to the cross. And Jesus told them in verse 40, Matthew 26, 40, he came to his disciples and he found them asleep. Matthew 26, 40. And he said to Peter, what? Could you not watch with me one hour? Now he's going to talk about temptation here in just a moment, but notice this. If you can't keep from yielding to the flesh to sleep, that's a bad indication about your ability to resist temptation later. Yielding in one area will make you more prone to yield in another area. Well, controlling yourself in one area will help you in controlling yourself in another area. It overlaps. And that's when he said you couldn't stay awake one hour. Well, the implication is how are you going to deal with what's coming up now? Right? He said... Let's back up on this a little bit. Things that so many times people think are small are not small. There are keys to the bigger things. The Lord will deal with you. Get up and pray. Spend a little extra time doing this. Go over there and do this. Be in the meeting. And people think, well, you know, what's the big deal? He won't tell you everything that's on the other side of that. He expects you to walk by faith. But if we were wise, we'd see that if you do this, that's going to lead to this, and it's going to lead to this, and then you're going to be ready when this comes up. But if you don't do this, it's going to set you on a path of disobedience. And you won't hear that, and that won't hook you up with the next thing. It's sad how many times people's lives have gone off course because they didn't go to church when he told them to go to church. They didn't read the Bible when he told them. They didn't pray when he told them to pray. And so it set off a chain of events, a flow of disobedience instead of a flow of obedience. You know, uh, the Lord prompted us to come up here in the summertime and take a couple of days off. The year before he spoke to us about coming here. And we did. What if we hadn't done that? Then he dealt with us, you know, to come up here the first of the year and uh, just get quiet and pray some. I had not a clue that I'd be standing here in the church three years later. We weren't thinking about starting a church at all. What if we hadn't taken that step, though, to come and pray and look around and just pray? What if you hadn't done that? What if you thought, well, I'm busy. What do I want to go to Branson and pray for? I can pray right here. I got a nice place to pray right here. But no, being here, the Lord began to deal with us about Branson. And then we took another step and another step, steps of faith. The Lord doesn't show you the whole thing, right? Shows you enough to take a step. Then you take another one and another one. He said, verse 41, watch and pray that you what? Here's the words I want you to get now. That you what? Enter not into temptation. This is another way of saying that you don't yield to the sin. But it's described like this. Temptation is the door that you go through into the sin. But can anybody make you go through the door? No. It's up to you whether you go through the door or not. Go to James, please. He said, watch and pray that you enter not into temptation. 
Temptation is real. All of us have to deal with it. People that act like that they've become so sanctified and so holy that they're not tempted are just deluding themselves. Jesus himself was tempted. Is that right? Is it true? Jesus himself was tempted. Did he sin? No. Was he tempted? Yes. So being tempted to sin is not sinning. When does it change? When you yield to it, when you go through the door, when you enter into the temptation, you'll be pulled. Maybe the thing that tempts you might not be the thing that tempts me as much or vice versa, but everybody's got something in some area that pulls on them, unrenewed mind and your flesh. Everybody's been tempted. Anybody can be tempted. You'd never get to the place where you can't be tempted. If anybody could have got to that place, Jesus would have been there. Right? You never get to the place. I don't care how much scripture you know. I mean, that should be obvious, shouldn't it? We've had great men and women of God who fail. Right? Great people of God who missed it and blew it. Why? Well... They were tempted, and maybe many times before they were tempted, and they didn't enter into it. They didn't give into it. But that time, they entered in. Do you ever have to enter in? Can it be so big and so strong that you can't resist it? No. No. That was a little weak, so uh, go to 1 Corinthians 10. You know it, but let's look at it again. 1 Corinthians 10, he said, 1 Corinthians 10, 13. Make sure you take the time, turn, look at it. 1 Corinthians 10, 13. He says, there has, what? No temptation taken you or happened to you or come to you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful. Faithful to do what? Who will not suffer you, or that word means allow you. He will not allow you to what? To be tempted above that you're able, but will with the temptation also make a way to escape that you may be able to bear it. There has never been. This is important. Now, there's never been an irresistible temptation. Has never been. In fact, that's what the Living Bible says on this. It says there is no temptation that is irresistible. I know that there's men that like to think they're irresistible. There are women that like to think they're irresistible. But there is no such thing. There's just weak people that give in to the flesh. There's no such thing as an irresistible amount of money. Hmm? There's no such thing as an irresistible situation. Now, you might be pulled, yeah. You might be tempted, but can you say no? Can you refuse to enter into the temptation? Can you turn around and walk away and say, I mean, Maybe your flesh might be screaming, do it, do it, do it. But can you be strong and go, no, 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 this is not the will of God. This is not right. And I'm not going to do it. That doesn't mean you weren't pulled to do it. Doesn't mean that part of you didn't want to do it, but you said, no, I'm not going to do it. No, no, that's what Jesus did. Part of him was pulled to do it. That's why he wouldn't have been tempted. But never once did he give in. He's my hero. Isn't your hero? And he proved it could be done. And he showed us how to do it. The biggest temptation described of Jesus in the Word was in the Garden of Gethsemane. Oh, he was tempted not to go through with the rest of that. Because he knew well what was laying on the other side. 
That's why he prayed, if there's any other way, let this cup pass from Oh, he was tempted. Don't you know you would be? You're hanging on the cross. You're becoming sin with all the foul things that mankind have ever done. And all you got to do is call on angels and you get delivered just like that. Don't you know you would be tempted to do it? Oh, he was tempted. That's why he sweat blood. Resisting, Hebrews says, sin. If there would have ever been something irresistible, it would have been some of that. But (laughs) he endured the cross, despising the shame, because he could see the joy that was set in front of him. And he said, no, I got to do it. I got to do it. I got to do it. It's the only way they can be saved. It's the only way they can be healed. It's the only way they can prosper and be blessed and be victorious. Only way. I got to do it. And you can do the same thing no matter what you're tempted with. You say, no, no, no. I got to be a daddy to my kids. I got to be a husband to my wife. I got to be a man of God. I got to be a woman of God. No, I can't do it. No, no. I don't care how bad my flesh wants to do it or my mind wants to. No, no. I can't displease God. I can't fail my God. Right? No. And you don't enter in to the temptation. Now go to James. James 1, verse 13. James 1, 13. Let no man say when he's tempted, I am tempted of God. James 1, 13. Well, if the Lord said don't say it, then you ought not say it. Sometimes people say, well, I guess God just put this in my life, you know, to test me and prove me and God never has anything to do with you being tempted to do evil he is good there is no evil in him how could he tempt you with something that's not even in him right because God and the devil have no harmony no fellowship no working together He said, don't say when you're tempted, you're tempted of God, because God cannot be tempted with evil. Now that's something. You can't tempt God, the Father, with evil. Neither tempteth he any man, but every man, this is true with everybody, is tempted when he's drawn away of his own lust and enticed. This shows you exactly how it works. If you will, you see that we'll call a room here sin. And what's on the other side of the sin? Death. But here's the doorway to get into it is temptation. And he said, don't enter in. Don't go through the door of temptation to get in the room of sin. He said, this is how it works. Every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust. Now, this is not the devil. This is your own desire of your flesh. Desire of your unrenewed mind. It's a desire in part of you. And it pulls you. Your flesh wants to do it. Your eyes want to see it. Your ears want to hear it, and it's not right. We need to be honest about these things. See, people play games. They sit up in church. They do all kind of junk through the week, and then come sit up in church and act holy like they can't even be tempted, and they're dying. Death's working in them. No. you got flesh. I've got flesh. Your flesh will be pulled. There's desires for things that's not right. And he said these desires, every man's tempted when he's drawn away of his own lust, or that means strong desire, and enticed. Now that's the devil's work, the enticement. But what does he have to work with? Your desire. The less desire is there, the less he has to work with. And when this lust or this desire has conceived, it brings forth Sin. And sin, when it is finished, brings forth 
death. Now I've said this before, but let me end with this. Can you see what is the part of this that we have control over? That we can affect, that we can change. Desire. This desire is what the enemy entices. It's what he works with and it's what pulls us to the door of temptation. If you had absolutely no desire to see it, it wouldn't be a temptation to look at it. Right? If you had no desire to drink it, you wouldn't be tempted to drink it. If you had no desire to do it, it wouldn't be any temptation to do it. It's the desire. Here's the great thing. Desires are not static things. Desires are big and strong, are small and weak, according to how they've been fed. Oh, come on now. This is Victory Place right here. I could describe it to you right now. I could start right now telling you about my grandma's chicken and dumplings. And my Aunt Royaline's 30-day cake. I could begin to describe to you how Grandma would hand-roll the dumplings. And the smoked ham from the smokehouse. And then fresh ground cornmeal. I could tell you about how Mama makes the lattice work. For the dewberry cobbler. And the more we talk about this, what happens? I mean, you start salivating. I mean, you start going, man, hurry up and get through so I can go to the restaurant, you know. What happens if you talk about it and you think about it, what are you doing? You are feeding that desire. And as you feed that desire, what happens? It gets stronger. It gets stronger and stronger. What happens when it gets strong enough? You want to act on it. Right? It gets strong enough. Let's take adultery. How does that happen? Two Christians. Let's say a man married to a woman here. And a woman married to another man here. They're all Christians. They don't just look at each other. And go, let's commit adultery and go jump in bed. No two Christians that are even remotely saved does that. What happens? A thought. Right? Some interaction. Looking a little too long. Talking a little too much. A little too much contact. And then there's thoughts. And then there's a desire. Well now... Uh, The thought and the desire, there's no sin yet, necessarily. Did you hear me? Just because there was a desire. So I said, well, what about, you know, Jesus said, if you look on a woman to lust after in your heart, that you've sinned. Well, it's a decision. Just because a thought came doesn't mean you've sinned. But when you decide to look and lust, what are you doing? You yielded. But just because you saw somebody and you thought they were attractive and a thought came across your mind, no, you've not sinned. It's just time to resist. And it's a whole lot easier to crush an acorn than it is an oak tree. Right? I mean, the first time. Make it easy on yourself. Right? No need going through a bunch of tormenting desire. The first time something comes across your mind, what do you know? This is something that should be starved. Right? I got to starve this. Because if I don't, it'll get stronger. And it'll get stronger. And these people who are in these bondages and they say, well, Brother Keith, I'm bound with pornography and I'm bound with this. That didn't happen overnight. You had to feed that thing over and over and over again to get to that place. It's like the stray cat syndrome. (laughs) You've heard me say it before. But you go out the back door and there's a cat there. You've never seen him before. 
You go, no, kitty, no, I got plenty of pets, and I got, I don't need another cat. No, you'll have to go. And he rubs up against your leg. You say, no, kitty, no. But just stay right there. I think I got some gourmet cat food somewhere, and I'll get you a can, and you come back, you dip it out in a nice bowl, and you put him some water there, and you, you rub him on the head, and he's eating that. You say, now, kitty, you have to eat this, and then you have to go. You cannot stay. You have to go. Well, what's going to happen next time you come back around to the back door? You're going to see the kitty's going to be there. He's ready for another can of gourmet cat food. And you say, no, no, kitty. No, I don't want you here. No, you can't be here. But if you'll just wait right there, I'll go get another can of gourmet cat food. Well, you keep doing that. You got you a cat. Right? You keep doing that. Next thing you know, that cat will be 20 pounds and he's sitting on your chest. And you're going, no, kitty, no, I don't want a kitty. Here, have another cat. See, that's what people are doing when they say, no, I don't want to look at that stuff and I don't want to do that and I don't want to. But yeah, here, let's watch it for another three hours. You feed stuff and it gets stronger. But the good news, the good news is I don't care how tormenting something's been in your life, you can starve it until it doesn't even bother you anymore. I didn't say it would happen overnight or even in a week if you've been feeding it for years, but you've got to cut off the groceries to Kitty. Is how you got to say, Kitty, the kitchen is closed. You ain't getting another bite at my back door. Right? No. No. No more. No more. You cut it off. Now, when you first do, it could be like a junkie on drugs. I mean, you're used to it. Your body wants it and your mind wants it. Your eyes want to see it. And boy, you'll hear howling and crying and pulling. That's when you got to be strong. Right? Say, no, we're starving this thing. We're starving this thing. And if I can make it through today, it'll be easier tomorrow. And make it through another week, it'll be much easier next week, right? And if you keep doing it, it won't be that long until it just won't be tormenting like it was. And eventually, you can be completely free from those tormenting desires and free from the sin. Can you say amen? amen? Glory to God. Stand up on your feet if you would. This ministry has been brought to you today free of charge by the partners of More Life Ministries and Faith Life Church. If you would like to help send this word to others at no charge, you can become a word sender today. For more information, visit our website at morelife.org.